Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. We've got a bunch to get to. You know, I always hate it, Sandy, when people say, uh, we got a, we got a lot to get to today. We got a loaded show. It's just, it feels like a crutch, right? Sort of well, cliche. It does, and it always seems to produce a letdown. Right. Among some of our listeners, because we are promising something that uh, inevitably will uh, seem to some listeners again as if we haven't delivered. Yeah. And so, so uh, we we I would say we have a fairly newsy day. On a scale of one to ten, maybe it's a five or a six. Yeah. Would yeah. That be okay. I think that's probably fair. Yeah. And uh, obviously there is a lot going on this week when it comes to the uh, NBA. Of course, the free agency period starts on Friday, at least the negotiations, but that is basically the free agency period. The NHL draft uh, will commence on uh, tomorrow night. We'll have some information about that coming up for as well with moves with the Avalanche, Alex Newhook being dealt. But we also want to start with the Broncos who get their training camp dates uh, squared away. Uh, kind of, it always uh, surprises me how late they end up getting actually announced, but they will start a day from tomorrow. That will be uh, the 28th of July will be the first day of training camp. And then when you take a look at the okay, idea, so we have one month, yeah, we have one month away. So there you go. Uh, letting people know who are curious about it and want to go, the 12 practices open to the public. Uh, they will start on that, on that Friday. And uh, you will have it have to get a ticket for entry this year. The tickets are free and you can get four tickets, but you have to go to, to Ticketmaster to get them now. So you can't just show up early in the morning and stand in line, expect to get in. You actually have to get tickets for the Broncos training camp. That is a new uh, situation there. It practices it practices limited to 3,000 fans per practice. So uh, that's where thing, things I'm, will go. I'm laughing because I don't think they'll get anywhere near 3,000. Uh, 3,000 is a lot. And, and as, as they point out in their own uh, I'm glad email. They put, I'm glad they put a ceiling. Yeah, on yeah. That's, uh, would, you wouldn't want rambunctious, out-of-control fans numbering 3,001 out there, right. to be sure. And the I Broncos mean, they, did the in, in their control, own email. I always like the way it's phrased. Due to Arapahoe County restrictions, this is quote, due to Arapahoe County uh, restrictions, each practice will a limited capacity of 3,000 fans. So don't well, blame us. We can't have 3,001. We only have 3,000. We'll get into this later on because now we have Justin Adams, our buddy. Right. He'll be joining about us in about an hour. hour. Yep. The Broncos to me. And, of course, we'll find out when the season begins whether, once again, they have been uh, exercising in the age-old phenomenon known as self-delusion. Okay. okay. Yeah. We'll it, know for sure. It, but once the season been a, starts, been a bit. we'll know for sure. My suspicion is that their capacity for self-delusion is perhaps no longer limitless, but it still can be felt, sensed from time to time. And I think that spreads to 
a bit of the coverage they're getting, uh, particularly on the local level. And I guess I can't say anything other than it, 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 and I'll make a declaration here and see if you agree. It seems still odd to me that so many are willing to give the Broncos every benefit of every doubt after seven years of futility and six years consecutively losing seasons. I, I don't know if that is your impression or not, but the tendency to operate within the realm of self-delusion and at the same time receive, not from everyone, certainly not from the fans, but I think from a certain segment of the media, both print and electronic, every benefit of every doubt. I think that still exists. I I think there are some bad habits that come from the top down that have been difficult to break because as as the leagues and the NFL in particular control more of the message and the medium and for the Broncos uh, along with many NFL teams so don't, so don't get me wrong this is how most NFL teams operate the official broadcast partners have advantages that everybody else doesn't I guess to be expected. That's why you pay for it, right? But the acceleration of the way things changed during COVID, in which now the interviews for players in many cases went to Zoom or what have you for a little bit of time, and then uh, follow-up questions became a thing of the past. Uh, This has changed the way I think that media has approached things. Uh, Access matters to an extent, but not the same way that it did before. And so now I think you see people having to react from the news that they get from the team itself. And at the risk of losing access, people are more wary and outlets are more wary of doing something to upset the proverbial apple cart and potentially not be invited to that online call or something like that. That's part of it. And that's a larger piece of the puzzle that not only permeates the NFL, but quite frankly, all of sports. And that's not going away, mind you. We're in the early stages of that, and it's not going away. But with the Broncos in particular, I think the ability for self-delusion, that when it comes from the group led by Joe Ellis on the business end, John Elway on the football end, in which you know you you could truly believe that Paxton Lynch was the solution to your problems, and if not Paxton Lynch, is Drew Locke, and that you know it goes on and on and on. The ability to, if not self delude, at least overestimate one's ability has a fine a, line between those two. Yes, but, and I yes, think so I'll, has, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy the distinction. That's essentially been the Broncos' mo since winning Super Bowl Fifty. I couldn't agree more. And as a result, that that habit, I think when you talk about the way it's covered, I mean, I think people just used it. Well, we're getting this. They're going to say it's great. My instinct is to, of course, say it's great. I don't want to make the Broncos mad. So, okay. And and off you go. I think that's going to change a little bit because I think the new ownership group, 
from the outside looking in, was able to look at the previous few years of what they were buying and going, are you kidding me? You know, there, there are people, look, you and I have done this for a long time. But the new owners got sold a bill of we're, goods. We're not, we're not football guys. We're, not, we're not guys that have spent our lives running NFL teams. You and I, for the last uh, three years we've been doing this, have consistently said the Broncos will not make the playoffs. Uh, you and I also said that the year before that when we weren't together. We haven't fallen for it. it was like this, this team is not good. And it's not going to the I playoffs. Stop pretending that. to people that fans will. Fans haven't either. Uh, I said fans, that's a generalization. I mean, a certain percentage of the fans live in a world where they want to believe the best right. regarding the team they're, they're rooting for. Right. But I think a vast majority, measure it by the no-shows over the last seven to years to be up. sure. You bet. Last uh, seven years to be sure. Uh, and and I, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I think 2016 was okay. I don't remember any massive number of no-shows in any of the home games. So let, let's be precise, as long as we're talking about this seriously. Six years of no-shows, the most notable of which took place, I think, in 2019, although it's happened on other occasions, when Drew Locke made his debut. And there was almost a record number of no-shows at Drew Locke's debut. People said, well, we didn't know he'd be the quarterback until later in the week. Focus. Everybody knew he'd be the quarterback well in advance of his first start. But in any case, I think that's a part of it. But I think the fans have grown weary of hearing the same message every time they change coaches and that's at the heart of this in my opinion because with every new coach there comes the idea that this is the guy and if you want to go back for the last 10 years including this one upcoming the broncos have had six head coaches in 10 years one delivered yeah one did one won the super bowl right one including kubia Over the last eight years, the Broncos have had now five coaches. And again, I'm counting 2023, assuming that Sean Payton will make it to opening day. (laughs) One month and one day, I guess, before it takes, yeah. Every time there's a coaching change, there's optimism. Vance Joseph, 2017, only two years removed from the Super Bowl. We're going back to the playoffs. Even though one of Vance Joseph's early statements made not necessarily publicly, but certainly privately, multiple people have indicated to you and to me that Vance Joseph looked at the Bronco quarterback situation when he took the job in 2017 and pronounced the quarterbacking group not championship ready. Right. That was the phrase he used. Our quarterbacks are not championship ready this was 2017 Vance is replaced by Vic Fangio start the 2019 season you got a new coach and sure enough you got a new quarterback by then you got Joe Flacco coming in a Super Bowl winning quarterback in the words of John Elway still in the midst of his prime in 2019, in the words of the Broncos' lead executive. That could not have obviously been more wrong. Right. I mean, goodness. And I think by the time Fangio was replaced 
by Nathaniel Hackett, people had become cynical about the notion that a new coach by himself could turn things around. However, shortly following the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett, there was the trade for Russell Wilson. Well, there is a proven winner who has certainly demonstrated not only durability over his 10 years, but a certain amount of consistency during that period of time. And yes, uh, here and there, you might find nicks in his game, signs of regression. But that's common to somebody in his early 30s. And even if he doesn't play well, he'll be far better than any of the quarterbacks we've had here since Peyton Manning. And I think maybe a slightly higher percentage of the fan base was willing to ride along with that, to coin a phrase. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) But they quickly became disillusioned, not only about the quarterback, but about the coach. And the most amusing narrative that we've been following over the last six months now since the season ended, and of course Hackett was fired before the season ended, has been whose fault was it? Hackett's, Wilson's, a combination of the two, what's the percentage of blame we should dole out to one or the other? So between all the coaching changes and all the quarterback changes, the Broncos have been selling a lot. And I think it is fair to say that at least 95% of what they've been selling has turned out to be bunk. Uh, The remaining 5% consists of what they're now introducing in a seasoned head coach who, as we described last week, is arguably one of the 30 best head football coaches in the history of the NFL. So there's a certain amount of credibility attached to the hiring of Sean Payton. And there is also a sense that Wilson can't very well be worse than he was last year. And we'll get into that more deeply later on. But there is at best, I think, among the fans here, Broncos country, as it were. Don't tell me anymore. I've heard plenty. Show me. Since Peyton Manning retired, here are the Broncos who have had more than three starts at quarterback. And here are their records. Paxton Lynch, one and three. Brock Osweiler, five and six. Case Keenum, six and ten. Joe Flacco, two and six. Teddy Bridgewater seven and seven. That, that's the important, only one. It's an important the number only to keep one that in mind. Drew Locke at eight and thirteen. Russell Wilson at four and eleven. One quarterback has a winning record during that span. Trevor Simeon thirteen and eleven. And that's it. And that I had I'd forgotten about Simeon, but well, I, I excluded you know, him in, in I, chronological I, order because that was I, the only one that had a winning record. Right. But he, Osweiler and Lynch, were the three quarterbacks on that twenty seventeen team that. Vance Joseph said was not championship yeah. ready. And yeah. you know what? Vance oh, yeah. Joseph made Vance a lot of mistakes. Mistake. That proclamation wasn't it, no, one no, of them. No, no, no. That was not a misjudgment. 
Now, uh, Vance Joseph's uh, tendency to believe that he never saw a Wednesday practice that was bad um, grew a bit tiresome, and somebody should have gotten to him very early in the season and said, stop with that. And then it, I, I don't know that that was more prevalent in 17 or 18. I can't remember, but I definitely remember that feeling over the two years that Vance Joseph never saw a Wednesday practice he didn't love and couldn't understand how they could lose on Sunday when they had practiced so well on Wednesday. And I'm saying, well, there are three intervening days, I believe, between Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> I mean, and, and Wednesday is usually uh, kind of an implementation practice. Right. Thursday and Friday are more specialty situations and special teams maybe uh, uh, built in and you're working on, on the game plan, particularly on Friday and your walkthrough, you're walking through the game plan effectively. But anyway, uh, no, th- there's just so much manure that's been shoved, especially over the last six years that I, I think we've reached a point that, you know, and, 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 We'll have the conversation today about the the wide receiver, running back, tight end group and where the Broncos stand in that regard. And the benefit of the doubt position is that certainly when you talk about Williams and Patrick, who missed most of the year, if not the entire year, right? Patrick missed the entire year. Never played last last year. Certainly not right. together, right? And then you add Judy and Sutton, and you find that over the course of a fairly long period of time, Judy, Sutton, Patrick, and Williams have taken 164 snaps together on the field during games out of 2,114, that's below 8%. So the benefit of the doubt position is they'll be great once they get on the field together. I think the more reasonable position to take is that at least at the start of the season, you're of the opinion and I'm of the opinion, you won't necessarily see on opening day all four guys on the field together. Uh, so until it happens, this kind of playmaking revolution that the Broncos have been selling for years and years now through the drafting of Sutton, certainly of Judy in the first round, Tim Patrick's emergence, which is the only real thing that I think you can say about the wide receiver position, that he's a very good possession receiver. And then you you go from there, and I I really don't know what you have that's very impressive that isn't at best unproven. So why they get the benefit of the doubt? We we had this last year. Well, oh, Wilson was joining a team that was much more uh, explosive at the wide receiver position, at least than anything he had. In Seattle, and I, I remember you and I are looking at each other and saying, what? Sure? Yeah. Are we sure about <laughs> exactly. that? Metcalf and Lockett are pretty good. 
Are we sure that Sutton, Judy, even throw in Patrick, but once Patrick got hurt, let's get Sutton and Judy. Going into the season, Patrick was out for the year. Are we sure Sutton and Judy are better than Lockett and well, Russell Wilson will, will Russell Wilson thinks they're better. Uh, we all saw how much to make of Russell Wilson's view on things here. We'll get back to the Broncos in just a bit, but the Colorado Avalanche have made a trade, and it is a big one. It'll involve draft picks and a uh, player that has not made an NHL debut yet. I'll tell you more about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. We spent a little bit of time yesterday, Sandy, talking about the addition of Ryan Johansson and how it tangentially became necessary because Alex Newhook did not rise to the level of performance where the Avs felt comfortable with putting him as the second-line center. Well, Perhaps they felt even more strongly about that than we thought because today the Avs trade Newhook to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for the Canadiens' first overall pick in tomorrow's draft, which is the 31st overall, their second pick in tomorrow's draft, 37th overall, and uh, defenseman uh, Gianni Fairbrother, who was a a third-rounder in the 2019 NHL draft, has yet to make his uh, NHL debut and sat out all last year with a knee injury. Uh, just kind of a you know, throw-in prospect. Yeah. But it is really Newhook for a first and a second. And a late first. A late first. And, and, and that is an interesting move because they are not going to find... It, it, you can make the argument that Alex, Alex Newhook was not going to be a second-line guy, but certainly was in your bottom two lines. And even though the expectation would be better than that for him, you're not going to find even a bottom six guy in this draft immediately, no one from 31, 37, or even the Avs number 27 pick is going to immediately come to the NHL. Oh, no, no, no. But remember yesterday, and I can't remember the qualifier I used, but I basically said that he was using some type of qualifier. A bus. The Avalanche removed the qualifier. The Avalanche concluded get, that, get, in fact, he was a full-fledged bust. They get no NHL ready help. made a None. deal that involved essentially giving him to the Montreal Canadiens on a silver platter and saying, we'll, we'll take your first two picks, but neither one's in the top 30. So even as bad as you are, if you use those two picks, you wouldn't be drafting him regular player for next year, certainly not on either of the top two lines or uh, on the top two defense tandems. And Montreal said, thanks. Well, maybe a change of scenery will ignite this kid. And and perhaps it will. And hopefully maybe. it will. I mean, who knows? But for the abs, he, uh, he was 30 points last year while playing in all 82 games. He, he was a major disappointment. If 
if not a monumental bust. 16th overall Major pick in the 2019 draft. And it, it appeared at, at times at, at, at which he might sort of catch fire and turn into the score and, and, and skater that they expected. It just never panned out. And in Newhook's case, look, he's doesn't even turn 23 until next January. So maybe there is reason to believe if you're the Canadians that there's something that, that can be done with that, that maybe it's, uh, well, it's you know, lack of playing there, time there, or maturity is, or whatever. And they could be right. There is a philosophy uh, that I think certainly applies to hockey that you don't pass definitive judgment on players before they turn 23. Mm-hmm. Maybe even 24. All right. And he's still but 22. You've got to show some signs, uh, some flashes, even. I don't remember seeing him flash, the, really. The problem he is. He had some stretches that looked okay, but was he ever a guy you trusted to be out there in a key situation? Was he an integral part of the power play? No. Was he? Could he kill a penalty or two from time to time? Right. No. He couldn't do that. Was he, as you so properly suggest, ever a legitimate top six forward? Answer to that is no. Even with the injuries they had last year. I mean, JT Comfer ended up being a top six forward because Alex Newhook was so bad last year. And, I mean, they gave him ample opportunity. He certainly had excellent coaching along the way. And they exercised as much patience as any reasonable organization could be expected to apply toward a, a first-round pick but, who, yeah. who, like who was picked overall. in the middle of the first round. Not late. Not, not late in the first round. I mean, nobody thought he'd be a phenom. I don't say that mm-hmm. uh, top 10, top 15 pick, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you get a good player, maybe even a top six forward. Sometimes you get a phenom, but that tends to come within the first five picks of the draft. Nobody expected him to be a phenom. They expected him by now, especially after Kadri left to be a legitimate second line forward. And, even as recently as yesterday, Peter Baugh, the athletic in projecting line combinations in the wake of the Johansson deal, had Newhook playing left wing on the second line next to Johansson and Rantanen. And you're thinking, as I said yesterday, I'll give it till February. Okay? Which, obviously, even the, even the avalanche weren't right. prepared to do. I said, I give it to February because I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what Johansson will do and a very good idea what Ranton will do or Rodriguez or whoever else they end up putting on, on the other wing. And maybe Ranton stays up on the top line. Who, who knows? But this is just a projection. I said I'd give it till February. If it isn't working by then, you got to trade him. First of all, I thought, well, okay, they trade him in February. They'll still get something for him, and that something would be a first-round pick in the top 25 somewhere. This is this is the 31st, the second to last pick of the first round, if I'm not mistaken, and an early second round pick. Okay. Right. 
but it, they, they're, they didn't give away anything in the Johansson deal, and they're not getting anything in this Certainly deal except, except the chance that maybe one out of these three players years from now will become a functional player on the third or fourth line. And if you're really, really lucky, maybe on the second line, that's it. That's the ceiling from what you got for Alex Newhook, who was supposed to be a second line forward. Yeah. Certainly by now, probably by a year ago at this time was supposed to be a second line forward. You brought up one of the names that I think is interesting because you talked about uh, when you're talking about moving away from Newhook, we talk about Evan Rodriguez. Rodriguez is an unrestricted free agent. Now, Newhook was a restricted free agent and presumably Montreal is going to get him taken care of. But that tells me, especially given that role, that the Avalanche are either somewhat down the road with or are willing to meet in the middle to retain Rodriguez because some of that money has been freed up. That position, with, without receiving any NHL help in return, you either better return Evan Rodriguez or you're going shopping and you don't know if that's going to be as good a fit. So I, I think Rodriguez now becomes one of the very interesting. We know Byron's going to get taken care of as, yeah. a, as a fellow restricted and, free And agent. we have a pretty good idea that somebody's going to offer Comfer at $6 million a year, maybe $5 million, between 5 and $6 million a year. Somebody, I, I somebody's going to offer him that, and the Avalanche can't go there no matter how much money they save from this Alex Newhook. Deal. So I, I do think Comfer's gone. I think Rodriguez. Byram resigns, and Rodriguez is the guy you're able to keep now using some of the new hook money. Right, right. I think that's uh, the the idea of where they're going. That's not. That's just basically uh, reading the tea leaves. Not anybody uh, about a chance to talk to. This trade happened, you know, midday today. But uh, I, I suspect that's what makes the most sense because the Avs know they have a, a player that fit well and continued to play better for them as, as time went along. But I want to know what you think about that, of course. Uh, 303-831-1340 is the text and call number. What does it mean for this the Avalanche? This play for a Stanley Cup championship team. Uh, he's, played big, he's played big numbers. Sandy, let me give you the numbers before we hop away here. So, three years in the league. Let's go to the first year he played, which is 21-22 season, the way they yeah. won the Cup. Right. 71 games. In those 71 games, 13 goals, 20 assists, 33 points, plus 11 on the year. Right. Uh, a, a shot percentage of 11.5. He had three power play goals and three power play assists. And his time on ice at 13 minutes, 33 seconds. Yeah, and, I mean, that's a third, fourth line. Production. Regular. Uh, the production rate at 29.11, which basically means that's how how long you're on the ice when you score an, a- an average number of points. In other words, if you had, you know, two points in 20 minutes, you'd have a production time of 10. One point every ten minutes is what you scored. So here's the here's where the problem I think manifested. He jumped from seventy one to eighty two games. The goals went up by one, thirteen to fourteen. The assists went down twenty to sixteen. So the points went down by three, thirty three to thirty. The plus minus went from plus eleven to zero. The shot percentage went up slightly, eleven point five to twelve point one. But power play goals and power play assists each went down from three to one. He went from his six power play points to two, two power play points in 82 games, not playing on special teams. 
The time on ice only went up 24 seconds a game, so that shows you where Jared Bednar felt about it. And that was with a ton of injuries, too. That's the only reason. The production dropped from 29 minutes and 11 seconds on ice between points to 38.08, barely. I mean, I'm sorry, that's awful. For a guy who was advertised as a scorer and a skater, he neither scored in the fashion you'd expect nor did he appear to be unusually fast. I'm no, sorry. We didn't. watched him for several years, and there was never a point uh, watching him. Bo and Byron was fast. There was said, explosions there, but, yeah, 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 but not Newhook. But, but I, I, I'm saying Alex Newhook doesn't seem to me qualified and to guess be was, categorized be, as an yeah. explosive skater. Right. He, he's not. I don't think so he's either. Not. I'm not saying he's slow. And on a team I'm saying with his speed doesn't stand out. One year more of experience. Increased opportunity, Newhook, across the board, produced less. And I think for the avalanche, and this is the trick with any sport, right? I tend to talk about it more in baseball. It's any sport. If you're, if you can play in the league and play in the league and it shows your first full year, it shows. So could Newhook play in the NHL? Yeah. Okay. Then the league adjusts to you because now they've seen you for a year. Now, how do you adjust to the adjustments? The great players will come through and still go forward and look like they're growing and getting better. Newhook regressed. After the league got to see what he did, he regressed. Despite being on a team that, despite all its injuries, uh, still ended up with a very respectable season. Despite the increased opportunities, produced less than ever before. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm, I agree with your initial sentiment. I don't think you give up on a guy who's 22 entirely and say he can't play. But I think you can say he's not a star. I think you can say he's never going to be a top six guy. I think it's okay to say that. And I think the Avalanche decided instead of waiting and and hoping that there's a better trade offer available, let's just take what we can get right now and rip the Band-Aid off. Where where are you going to put him on a third or fourth line? He's not an especially impressive checker. Right. He doesn't kill penalties. So uh, how could you justify putting him on a third and fourth line, alternating, sometimes third line, sometimes fourth line, when he brings scoring to the table, but he's not playing with scores. He's playing with people who have more of a defensive inclination. And all your really getting from him or expecting from him even is production. He's not good enough offensively to play on the top two lines. He's not good enough defensively to see significant ice time on the third, fourth line. He he became, I think, by the end of the Seattle series, to me, he became nine, 10, 11 minute a game play. That's not far off the 13 and change he got in the regular well, season. That's what he was at the end of the season. And that's a first-round pick who was expected to have made a breakthrough. Now, I, the, the, the 21-22 season was fine, but you had regression last year. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, we'll have a chance to talk more about that. But if you have been injured, by the way, uh, you need a win. That's why you need to talk to our friends, the winners at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com. The phone number is 720-845-7001. Hire the winner. And that's what their personal injury attorneys do. That's all they do. They have years of experience fighting for their clients. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's either by settlement 
or by trials. They don't hire someone off a billboard. They have locations all over the Front Range. Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, even North and Cheyenne, and right here where we are in the DTC. So hire the winner when you have been injured. That's Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com. Phone number is 720-845-7001. There are a lot of different ways to look at this new hook trade. The more interesting one is what does it mean for the avalanche next year? I have some ideas that I'll share with you. You may not like them, but I'll give them to you anyway. Next on My Life Sport. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Over at MileHighSports.com, our Avalanche writer, Arif Dean, put together a piece, a uh, reaction piece to this trade. Uh, Nate Lundy weighed in. I, lay, I weighed in. I, I want to share it with you, Sandy. You haven't had a chance to see it as, as to what I wrote at the time this afternoon. Because I think for, for Avs fans in the wake of the Alex Newell trade, it's, there are some ways to look at it. So here's what I wrote. Dealing new hook for draft picks can be safely analyzed from different angles. One, an admission from the avalanche that new hook would never develop into the second line star that they envisioned. Two, an understanding that fellow restricted free agent Bowen Byram had become vastly superior player and therefore signing him to a long-term deal became a much higher priority. Of course. Three, an acceptance. Indisputable. That given Gabe Landeskog's devastating injury and the uncertain future following Valeri Nachushkin's mysterious circumstances, <laughs> the team is likely to take a step backwards this season, making restocking their system absolutely necessary. In truth, it's all of these things. I, as such, the I agree. In order of importance, I think you've laid The it Avalanche out. organization should be commended for its sober self-awareness in the face of multiple frustrating developments. Yeah, and I know that people will recoil at the third of those three observations you made. But I never bought into, and I tried to express this yesterday, and maybe I wasn't clear in that I, I, I don't come on these shows to, to run down players. and I'm not into right. the hero bum thing right. where you're either great or you stink yeah. and there's no middle ground, no, no gray really area in between. No, no. I, and that's not what we do. But I didn't understand the assumption that the two restricted free agents went hand in hand. And the priority of signing one did not particularly outweigh the priority of signing the other. I didn't get that. Wait a minute. Now, I, I, I suggested yesterday, Bo Byram will deserve the contract that the uh, that eventually the Avalanche give. Yeah. But he's got to play more games. It, it, he's just, and the concussions two years ago, that's, that's a different deal. And... That's a, that's a career-threatening thing. You have to be very, very cautious. And I am not saying, I want to make this clear, I am not saying his injuries last year were any less real than the concussions were from the previous year. I am simply saying this. When he gets the kind of deal that I suspect he's going to get, you, you've got to get more than 30, 35 games out. Certainly. Oh, in the, in the regular season. Yes. And I understand they had him for the playoffs and he was terrific in 22. 
in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he was fine this year in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But he didn't play enough during the regular season. The Avalanche ended up winning more than 50 games. I think they would have won close to 60 had Byram played 25 more games Mm -hmm. than we know he played this past season. So, having said that, I still thought that, well, yes, Byram is the priority, but Newhook isn't. I mean, they'll do something, but it'll be very modest, and it'll be some kind of prove-it deal, and if they aren't satisfied by February, you trade them. Right. And I say February because that's about the time the deadline comes around. And the Avalanche didn't even think as much of him as I did. Right. And I'm thinking back now that he's been traded. I wish I had been more explicit in insane yesterday that signing one was important, but signing both was not. Signing both was not. And, and I say that being aware that they were overwhelmed by injuries last year and they go into this year knowing that the captain won't play so in theory there's an open spot but then in another sense there isn't because they didn't have him last year either so to say well they, they have a spot to fill the spot Landeskog leaves vacant well that was a vacant spot this year right and they got used to filling it and Newhook wasn't the guy who filled it So I I never understood why the two went hand in hand and they were characterized that way in print and electronically. And I'm saying, you you gotta be kidding. There's no comparison between the pace of development that one has enjoyed versus the other. No comparison. Right. And I I think as a result, and Byron plays the most valuable position, uh, certainly more valuable, a more valuable position. Yeah. Was it, he's a top four defenseman uh, as opposed to a, you know, a, bottom six forward there's there's no question about it and uh, it's it is telling and i think it is that third part that that i think abs fans are going to have some challenge with that uh, i i look at the abs right now and obviously it's far far too soon so so don't 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 get me wrong here it's far too soon free agency hasn't begun the draft hasn't even begun but we do know that landis gog is out for the year we do know that the money situation is tighter than it had been in, in some previous years. We do know that the Valerian Achushkin story is still yet to be written, and we don't even really know what we're looking at there. But we know there's been different reports and different vibes where the Avs might be, oh, well, he'll just be uh, back to normal comes fall, or they might do uh, even try to void his contract and everything in between. So we don't know... And all of those things combined, given the fact that this team has come off a a long playoff run and then a disappointingly short playoff run, gives the the indication that it feels like this is going to be a year where maybe 109 points and another Central Division title may not be in the offing. That doesn't mean that they collapse. It doesn't mean that they even miss the playoffs. But it does mean that despite what the folks in Vegas had and the avalanche, at least immediately after the Vegas golden Knights won the cup were the favorites in Vegas to win the cup again, that that might be a bit of rose colored glasses that you're looking through for the abs. It's it's, I would think more likelier than not that they will take a step back understanding that and still keeping your 
best talent available and under contract means, again, you may have to be more flexible in trades. You might have to do more things. And restocking that farm system is critical to that. And, and and right now the the Avs have basically stripped it bare to make the they, run the last have. two years. They they have and 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 now instead of one pick tomorrow night you'll have three, and you'll have three in the top thirty seven. Assuming they don't bundle them and try to move up further. Well, maybe or, they or do trade that. them for someone else. Uh, it, the bottom line is, out of all these picks, you have to find a player. But you're not expecting to find a player who would help them immediately. Not this year. Not as that in level. This year. Nope. Nope. And uh, remembering the avalanches. But you need bodies. I, I mean, um, as much as anything, you just need bodies for your farm system. You're, you're talking about, and you lost uh, the minor league coach. Right. As well. He's now an NHL mm-hmm. head coach. So, uh, you know, the, I, I thought uh, Cronin, right? Correct. Did a tremendous job and seemed to work well with Sackick, McFarland. Bednar, certainly, in developing players. And when they sent a player down, most of the time, when a player was called back up, he had made significant improvement. And I think Newhook went that route, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they did briefly, yep. And yep. when he came back... And Greg Cronin, by the way, for a cuts few, the Ducks. Right, right. For a few games, he, he did look better, like... It had been a wake-up call to get mm-hmm. sent down. Mm-hmm. Kind of embarrassing, actually. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. For a Stanley Cup champion to get sent to the Myers? Well, or I mean, what, what was it last the year? year it was the years? year prior. It was the, year, it was the Stanley year, Cup year. Okay. Yeah, he played in all 82 last year. year. Right. Someone who would become mm-hmm. a Stanley Cup champion. And it, yeah. Kind of embarrassing. Yeah, First-round pick, and he gets sent to the minor leagues. And he came back, and he played better and for a time. And that was why... His year-end totals were pretty much acceptable for a guy who had started the year, not literally started the year, but early in the season had been sent to the minors. But then there was no follow-up this year. There was no follow-up this year. So they need bodies for their farm system. There's there's no doubt about that. And listen, given it, this is what champions do. They take assets. Mm-hmm. prospects and they deal some if not all of those prospects for final pieces to the puzzle on the major league level that's what the minor leagues are for primarily yeah you'll get a phenom from time to time but i i think it's especially true in baseball but it's true in other sports too True phenoms come only to bad teams. Pretty <laughs> much. Pretty much. Now, the Lakers and the Celtics in the late 70s maneuvered so that they could get Magic Johnson and Larry Bird because they were smart and they were ahead of the field in their thinking. Red Auerbach. And a various combination of uh, Laker executives. A little bit of West, a little bit of Bill Sharman, a little bit of Jerry Buss. Give Jerry Buss the new owner at the time. Some credit for that. Maybe even a little bit of Jack McKinney. But they they worked these deals out 
from they traded for Kareem, and then they were able to draft Magic. Keep in mind too that what the the Avs tend but to do, but it's very rare. It that's is that's generational. Avs have about fifteen point five million in cap space now. Some of that's going to go to to Byram right off the bat. But keep in mind what the Avs tend to do is they don't tend to go shopping in free agency for unrestricted free agents where you know you're going to overpay. What they like to do is they like to make trades. And it would not shock me if the Avs use some of these picks to make more trades, whether that's to trade up or whether that's to do what, in this case, the Canadians just did, traded for a restricted free agent. The Avs may look at some of the, some of the players available in restricted free agency and decide we may, we may trade for one of those guys, knowing that now we're the ones that hold the rights and can sign that. That wouldn't shock me. Could the Avs make a deal tomorrow for one of those picks, either 27 or 31, to get a restricted free agent that they believe in, that they know roughly what it's going to cost? I could see that happening. And maybe that's how they recoup and get NHL talent. But I don't think they're done. By the time that the draft wraps up, I think we're talking about the Avs doing more than just adding a handful of picks. I think this is the start of something. When you're talking about trading your own talent away, they traded away virtually nothing in Galchenyuk for Johansson. Now you have to trade away some of your things. Now what are the assets they got? What are they going to move them for? Well, we'll find out, but it, it it's going to happen quickly, and it will happen starting tomorrow. Always delighted to have Justin Adams join us. He's going to join us next. We talk about the Denver Broncos training camp. At least the first practice available for fans. A week from tomorrow, he'll join us next on My Life Sports. A month from tomorrow. A month from tomorrow.